Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Hello, welcome to Impact the World. And this week, my guest is Trevor Blake. My publisher reached out to me to see if I would be interested in interviewing Trevor. And I have to say, when I started to look into his work, his books, his coaching, I knew he would be a perfect fit for the show for a couple of different reasons. On the one hand, Trevor is a New York Times bestselling author, an entrepreneur. He's had incredible success in business going from very humble beginnings. But on the other hand, Trevor is all about quantum physics and how the energy of life underpins the successes we create in the outer world and how important it is to be connected to those successes in ourselves. So I knew he completely aligned with our values here. And I have to say that at one point, the interview takes a turn I wasn't really expecting, uh, where Trevor really shared about some personal changes in his life. So the interview was incredible. Getting to experience Trevor and his work was a real treat for me, and I'm sure you will feel the same. The tagline on Trevor's website is, where transformation and financial independence meet. So I highly recommend this episode for any of you who have resistance or struggles around money because Trevor has a really clean way of looking at money as energy. And as ever, if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, if you will subscribe, rate or review over at Apple Podcasts or hit subscribe on our YouTube channel and you will never miss a notification about a new show. Enjoy the episode and we put links to Trevor's website and work in the show notes as usual. So Trevor, welcome to the show. It's a real pleasure to get to meet you and to have this conversation today. Thank you, Lee. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, a, a funny thing happened as, as things do, right? I had a real synchronicity around coming to interview you today. I, I had a team meeting this morning and in the team meeting, um, I, I was talking about uh, a, a course I'm going to offer or a presentation I'm going to do called The Art of Making Magic because you know one of my truths is you can make and create magic but there's a lot of practical work and application that goes into it so then i'm researching you a bit more ready for this uh this interview and it just made me smile because you use the word magic so much in your work which i find delightful given your background is physics and so much of what you teach comes from quantum physics but um i would like to just read from your website, just to give anybody who's new to you a bit of a context, because you're a beautiful writer and your website is full of really well-written stories and thoughts and um, aha moments, but you write about yourself. We are no different, you and I, even though on the surface of things, it may not appear that way. I've created financial success and independence. After selling my first company for over a hundred million, I'm fortunate to have been married over 35 years to someone who still makes my heart skip a beat when she walks in the room. I've achieved my dream of creating an animal rescue sanctuary and of writing best-selling books and screenplays. But at the end of the day, 
I suffer from all the fears and hangups as you or anyone. What has allowed me to overcome them? Specific tools and techniques, what I like to call practical magic. And my intent is to share all of it here with you. So let's get to it. I mean, it's one of many things on your website that I highly encourage that our, our viewers and listeners go and check out. But when did you first have an affinity with magic in your life? Do you, do you remember the moment or the moments? I do. I remember the very moment. Um, so I, you know, we all have definitions of what being poor and what success is. So I grew up poor by other people, by most people's definitions. You know, my father was unemployed my whole life. My mother was given six months to live when I was only seven years old. And uh, because of our situations, we were, we were evicted three times in my first seven years of life. And I thought that was normal life. I didn't think, oh my God, we're getting evicted. Uh, I just thought, what a great adventure. And the, and the third time uh, we escaped the bailiffs, we, we um, drove out to a, a, princip a principality of, of Britain called North Wales. And um, in those days, you could drive 40, 50 miles and just escape and disappear. And that's kind of what we did. And so I went from inner city Liverpool, where I was, I was running around the streets and, and maybe not hanging, even though I was only seven, you know, sort of hanging out with not the best influences in my life. And suddenly I ended up in the middle of this countryside where my nearest neighbor was over a mile away. And it was a complete moment of magic for me. It just, I would not be who I am without that transition. And, you know, so thank goodness we got evicted. Thank goodness my dad was unemployed. You know, adversity sometimes brings the greatest chances in life. And so, so I, there I was in the middle of nowhere, seeing a cow for the first time and a field for the first time and, and, and walking in the woods and hearing silence, if that sounds like an oxymoron, but hearing silence for the first time. And it just had a magical effect on me. And I, I never stopped wandering through the countryside and I still do it for, you know, whenever I have an issue with business, the first thing I do is go for a walk in the woods because it's magical, because it's connection. I didn't, of course, when I was seven, I didn't understand what's happening. Once I trained as a physicist and I spent my whole life as sort of a, a perpetual student of quantum physics, now I can say, okay, this is what actually is happening. This is a connection through a field of energy. Now I get why, why all of this magic can happen around me. If I have a thought, something turns up and all this type of thing. But when I was a kid, I was just happy to let go of it and just, just have the magic of, you know, thinking about a rabbit and a rabbit shows up or, you know, thinking about a storm and a storm shows up. It's just, it was a, just, a, it just made my life a, a magical process. And, you know, you mentioned the word magic a few times from a, from a, a scientific standpoint and from a business standpoint, you know, Crowley used the quote that magic is simply the changing of one form of energy or one form of matter into another form of energy or another form of matter within the laws of nature. So nothing dark or sinister and under the power of will. And that's all it is. So that's all I do in my life with, with my writing, but I have a thought and I turn it into a blog or with my businesses, I have a winning idea. I turn it into a company. It's just, that's, that's a magical process and it's very practical. But for, you know, for decades, so many people have made it seem mystical. And so I like to try and demystify it a bit. And that's what my, all my work on the website and everything is about. Mm. And, and you, it was, it was over three decades ago that you, you started with selling, selling companies and running companies. Is that right? No, no. So 2002. So I had a, so first of all, I wasn't interested in companies when I was growing up and I wasn't interested in money. I wanted being poor, you don't get to travel very much. And I, I used to, um, my, my dad used to make me go down to the village and go into the dumpsters and pull out the Sunday papers on a Monday on my way to school. And so he'd have a Sunday paper on a Monday and Tuesday. And on the back of the Sunday papers, I don't know if you remember, there was always the travel adverts, the advertisements on the very back. I don't know if I do, but yeah. It's, well, the thing is you could write, you, you didn't need postage stamps. So you could write your name and address in the line and stick it in the mailbox. And, and then a brochure would turn up and it would be a color brochure of holidays in these magnificent exotic places. That's what I wanted for my life. So, so I set out to do that and I had a fantastic experience doing it in a luxury way and and then you know something happens when you you get to 40 years old you go to bed on 
the last night of your 39th birthday, feeling fit and immortal. And then you wake up the next morning, six months pregnant, wondering what happened during the night, you know? And so I decided then I need to sort of like, you know, think about, about the future and business and stuff like that. And I'd always had these ideas and I thought, you know, now it's time to put, you know, put those ideas into action. So I started my first company in 2003 and I'm currently running companies four, five and six. Right. And the one that I quoted that you, you sold for a hundred million, which I think is an astronomical number to most of us. You started that with a few hundred dollars. You, 200. You... Yes. Yeah. So I started with 200 and, and you're like everything else in life, you know, necessity is a mother of invention. I, I, I didn't have enough money to build infrastructure or to hire people. So I had to come up with a creative way of making a company work. So I came up with a, a business model that were, it, it, it was unique at its time, but with everything that's happened in the last few years, it's actually an idea whose time has come. And so I found a way of building a business without having to hire an employee and without having to have an office. And, and I've kept, I've done that with all of my companies so far, it becomes like a plug and play model. And, um, the, you know, so the benefit was that there were several benefits. First of all, I was able to do it. So I didn't go bankrupt. Secondly, it turned out to be incredibly profitable. And thirdly, the companies ran themselves. So I could still keep to my, my, you know, my imperative in my life, which is to never work more than five hours a day. You know, I never have, and I never will. And I love that because one of the things that you, you talk about is no employees and never work more than five hours a day. It's one of the principles in, in much of your work. So so you, do you literally time the five hours and do you do it as a block or do you break it up? I, so I'm not naturally disciplined. So I'm a pretty lazy guy at heart. So I, have to, I had to make myself learn discipline. I, I, you know, I'm a great student of biographies of successful men and women throughout time. And, um, and Kay Wagner was a very, uh, very inspiring woman who, who empowered a lot of other women through, through her um, cosmetics firms uh, and, uh, and her sort of multi-level marketing system at the time. And she, she um, you know, kind of had the system of discipline, writing everything down and blocking off certain parts of the day and, make, and sticking to it no matter what. And I, I took that on. And so, so what I do is I, I have two hours of, of what I would call productive work. And then I stop no matter what's happening. Even if I'm on a conference call, I have to put the phone down and say, sorry, I've got to go. And then I have two hours of something completely different, which would be like walking in the woods behind me or meditating or something else or playing with my dog or having lunch with somebody um, uh, and no business, no talking business. And then in the afternoon, I come back and I do another two hours of productive work. And then sometimes I'll do another hour in the evening, but typically writing or something like that. Uh, I would say on average these days, I don't work more than two or three hours a day. And, and the, the reason I do it is not because not there's anything clever about it, but it's scientifically proven that we can't concentrate for more than two hours. And everything that we do after that two hour period, it gives us diminishing returns. And, and when you're building businesses, especially when you're a one man band like I am, you need to have your brain really fully powered. And so you have to do, you've got to be disciplined to say, okay, stop now, because even though I'm kidding myself that I'm in the zone and not really, and even though I'm kidding myself that I can multitask scientifically, it's shown there's no such thing as multitasking is, you know, we can't, no one can multitask. And so, and so you have to take yourself away and do something completely different. And it's when you do that, when you're walking in the woods, just, you know, getting your energy back, just relaxing, you get those wonderful aha moments and a little, you know, you connect with the universe and, and an answer to the problem you just spent two hours trying to crack just pops into your head magically. And you think, why didn't I think of that two hours ago? I could have saved all, my, all that angst and stress. So that's why you, I do it. And, and so actually on my website, there's a, there's a freebie with no strings attached called the practical magic of the five hour workday. So it's an explanation of how would the life, life used to be before the industrial revolution that like I've just explained it now, people never worked more than four or five hours a day and their, their priorities were, were, were family, church, leisure, work. You know, here today in the Western world, it's work, work, work and work. 
Mm. And, and, you know, I know lots of people who work 16 hours a day and they're incredibly successful, but they're on the third marriage and, mm. you know, they don't know the name of the dogs and the children hate them. And that's not success with balance. I like success with balance. So, so having that sort of breaking the day up and, and doing it the way I, I, I've done it, I can be proof of the pudding in the eating is that, you know, I've, I can run three companies at the same time and enjoy it and not get stressed. And then in the evenings, I'm there for the family. You know, that's, that's really the, the principle of the whole thing. But people can download the freebie on the website. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's mind-changing for a lot of people. And the feedback I get on email is fantastic. Well, I love it because I'm imagining a lot of people are watching or listening to this, especially when I think you, not only the five hours a day, but the never hiring an employee. And especially if you look at, we've just come through 2020. So many people have been forced to be at home. A lot of people lost the job that they had or depended on in the outside world. So more and more people are being forced to consider what their skills might be that they could offer. So, you know, a lot of, I, I, I know from when I went self-employed 16, 17 years ago, it's very scary when you start, but I think having some kind of strategy or formula. So my ears pricked up on behalf of our listeners and viewers, when you talked about, you know, no employee, it's a system that kind of runs itself. Is there a way that you can break that down for us a little bit? I know probably it needs a bit more time, but how, how can you simply explain that to the, the curious among us? Well, it comes out of, of a regular career where I spent 75% of my time sitting in a meeting room talking about anything but productivity, creativity, or customer satisfaction, and everything about keeping employees happy. The latest human resource system, the latest performance and appraisal system, all of this nonsense. And I was really good at it. I can BS better than anybody in those situations. So I built a whole career out of it. You know, people thought this guy's really good, but all I did was say the same thing as everybody else, just in a different way. And and so so I really when I started my first company, I didn't want that. And I thought there must be a, there has to be a better way. I don't want to ever to have another company meeting. I don't ever want to have an update meeting. I certainly never want a performance and appraisal system in any shape or form. I, you know, I lost three months of my work every year just doing the performance and appraisal system, and it depresses everybody. And, um, and so I just thought that there was a different way of doing it. And I'd worked with them. Whenever we were in launch mode in my regular career, we never had enough people, enough resources. So I'd go out and find other companies that could work with us for two or three months and help, you know, help suck up the extra demand and that sort of thing. So I just thought, you know, why not go back to those companies and say, you know, can you be my regulatory company? Can you be my manufacturer? Can you be my sales guys? Can you be my, my marketing team? But I only need you for a few hours a week. And they were, nobody resisted. Everyone said, we'd love to do that. And because I wasn't a traditional hierarchical structure with the reporting system and, you know, I had no need to sit on their shoulders every day and say, you know, how's it going or what's happening? I let them get on with their job. My, my, the, my only contribution to my companies is having the common sense to get out of everybody's way and let them get on with their jobs. And, and you know, like Sun Tzu once said, you know, the best manager is the one whose people say we did it all ourselves. And I found that to be, you know, it took me a while to learn that because I'm a bit of a control freak too. So I had to learn not to keep asking for updates and not to keep getting in the way. Uh, and so I've, the system runs itself, but the people who are in that system, the vendors and the contractors, and those, I would say they enjoy working with companies like myself far more than they enjoy working in the traditional hierarchical the hierarchy because the politics is taken out of it and the ego, and it's purely impact. It's purely what impact can they make to help me and what impact can I make to help them you know, be better at their job and more successful. So, so, you, so my management style has had to change from one of a sort of supervisory mentality to a peer-to-peer -peer mentality. And I have to say, it's a lot more fun. 
it's great again another synchronicity for me because i remember you know back in back in the days when i worked in theater i knew that the success of a show was 50 percent of your work was the casting so as a director if you cast the right people not just in the individual roles but in the chemistry of the group right. you know half the work was really done um and, and i feel the same way myself i do have a, a wonderful team but everyone's independent everyone's an independent contractor and and you know the people who work with me are employed because of their ability their brilliance and their their desire to be their own person in the company rather than all the stuff you talk about we were just talking about that the other day i, th I think it's people do feel empowered and they feel an ownership in the project too but the other nice thing about it is that, you know because i'm not restricted by standard operating procedures when a success moment arrives let's say we have a brilliant year or i exit the company for x amount of money it's up to me what I do then. And what I tend to do is write a check to everybody who was involved. And it's something that's never happened in their lives before. They never expected. And it's a big number that they're blown away by. But I can do that because I'm, I, you know, I couldn't do that in a regular career because I'd, I'd got fired, first of all, you know, straight away. And because, because everything's controlled in this hierarchical fashion. But that, that, that's the other side to this too, thing too, is that not only, are, not only do people take ownership in the, from a sort of spiritual and mental standpoint in, in the project, but they do get material reward as well because the profit is there to make that happen and it's entirely up to me or whoever runs a business like i run it to say look i really appreciate everything you did here's x you know and they don't you know, when they don't expect it it's a wonderful thing yeah and it's interesting because i think you know one of the things that i've noticed as a resistance to abundance in people one of the objections to earning more for themselves or or being willing to vision that they could earn more or create more is that whole idea of selfishness or how can I have that when X person doesn't have anything? And you know, the, the thing that I have said time and time again, and, and the thing I've seen with friends of mine who have wealth, but who, who live well, and they have the, they, they're aligned with the truth of life, is you get to be generous. And that's amazing. You get to, you're not gonna sit in a pile of money. And if you do, you're gonna be pretty miserable and probably have a lot of problems. But if you are, if you are a custodian of that abundance and you can distribute it to people's lives, the causes, I think that's really powerful. You have an obligation and it's not, not just because it's a good thing to do. The obligation is because everything in life is energy. So, you know, it's not a new age statement. It's a scientific statement. Everything in the world is made up of the same basic components of energy, fermions and bosons, including you and me and the computer and money and breathing and everything else. Mm -hmm. So money is just another form of energy. And so, so I, I, I often talk about money, but people, people would rather talk about the sex lives than talk about money, typically. It's, it's kind of considered a crass thing and the wrong thing to do. But if you can't talk openly and freely about money in the understanding of what money is, i.e. energy, it's very unlikely that you're going to experience a lot of it. And so when you realize that money is energy, it's not about what you said there, you're absolutely right. It's not about getting some and sitting on a pile of gold coins because that causes stagnation. Energy can't flow. And before you know it, something will happen and that money's gone. So, so money is about flow. And when you start out, you get a little bit of flow, but you keep it flowing, keep it flowing. You know, you don't have a Richard Branson or, or a Jeff Bezos sitting in a, you know, Hogwarts vault. You have, you have mm -hmm. them, they have them reinvesting, creating and philanthropy, but whatever, whatever they, they, they tend to do. So I've done the same thing. And I've realized that the more I do those things, the more flow comes into my life. And so I've realized that financial independence isn't something to achieve. It's something to be in. I'm in a fast flowing river. 
was I used to be in a little stream thinking I need to damp the stream and get as much water as I can. Now I realize that the more I let money flow. So, so it's, it's, it's not a case of being generous so much, I don't think. It's a case of understanding flow and, and energy and you know, making, helping money to continue to work. That, that's kind of, of how you do it. And then the next thing you know is you've got a huge amount of money and that's your next big problem. You've got to find out what am I going to do with this huge amount of money? You make that work. And um, you know, by, 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 take, by learning that and understanding it as energy, then you become all part of the same process and you never have that situation where you look at someone and say, oh, look how much he has or she has and how little I have in comparison. You just you look, look at it from energy. How do I get the same energy as that person? What do I need to do to build up my vibration so that I can experience that same thing? And, and there's tools and techniques, it's very easy. But then when you get to that point, you will be exactly the same as them because you will understand that and it, and all energy flows. It has to flow though it stagnates. And so money is just one of those many things that are in your life that you, you need to keep moving forward. Yeah. Something I heard you you say in an interview you gave, you, you said, well, you, you alluded to this, you have to be prepared for success. And, and I mean, I totally agree with that, understand that. I'm curious if you could expand on that for us. Yeah, it's very, so, it, you know, you, you, we read all these stories of somebody has an overnight success or somebody wins the lottery and it all, all goes horribly wrong. And, and people who don't have success look upon those events or those news stories and say, ah, see, wealth isn't everything. And, and that's not the way that things are. So it's very hard. You know, if, if, if you've never had wealth and then suddenly this huge flow, a dam burst, and it, it's going to blow you out of the way. You're not going to be able to stand up to it. You're not going to, you, you haven't learned to swim yet. You haven't learned to build a raft. You, you need to, need to uh, prepare yourself for the success that inevitably is yours by, by birthright. And so the way, the way we do this and the way the tools and techniques I teach, I have a course called Transformation, where this is a very big part of this, this growth process is to get comfortable with what life will be like when you're wealthy. And you start to get comfortable with that when you're not wealthy. And this is what I learned. I learned this from um, when I was a teenager, uh, I was getting bullied. And so I used to hide from the bullies in, this, in the town library. And I started reading, I hid in the reference section and, and I started with A and B. And when I finished reading all the A's, I went to the B's, which is the biggest section. And it was all biographies. So I just started reading biographies and I was absolutely blown away by the stories of men and women through time in all different aspects of life who were dealing with things that were much worse than I thought I was dealing with at the time and who managed to overcome that adversity and then have this amazing impactful life. And I noticed these patterns of behavior in all of those people. And one of those patterns of behavior was their preparation for the day when they will be quote unquote successful. And the way they did it was their form of sort of window shopping. And so, so the way we do it is um, and my wife and I were always, you know, we, 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 you know, maybe had a little bit of money left over at the end of the week. And instead of going and spending on fish and chips in the chip shop, we would go to the poshest hotel in town, the Grosvenor Hotel in Chester, and we'd buy a coffee because that's all we could afford because the coffee was the same price as a full fish and chip meal in the, in the thing. And but we, what, what, the reason we did it is we would get used to the ambiance of being in the posh lounge in the Grosvenor, the window shopping. I'm very uncomfortable at first, very intimidating. We weren't wearing the right clothes. But after doing this for a couple of years, you know, everyone in the Grosvenor used us, knew us. Um, we got annoyed if someone was in our seat, you know, by our, or by our table. And then, um, you know, the, the waiter stores coming and they would say the usual and they gave us extras and all the rest of it. And we became so comfortable with that, 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 that what we were doing was from a scientific basis, we were reprogramming a part of our brain that's called the reticular activation system. And this is the part of the brain that controls what we, what we sort of experience in our lives. It's trying to help us. It's trying to protect us because we're bombarded every second of every day by 2 million bits of data. And if we were able to experience that, we'd go bonkers. We're only able to experience 150 bits of data. And so the RAS controls that. 
And so, so the RAS tends to give you the same experiences because it thinks that's what you want. So if you want something different, you have to reprogram it. And the way you do it is window shopping. So you go and have that experience of coffee in the Grosvenor and suddenly the RAS is changing. And, and suddenly you find yourself being invited to posh hotels and being invited to restaurants by people you've only just met and stuff like that. So we, we started out like that. And then we did it with, you know, on, on vacations, we would, we couldn't afford to stay in the fancy hotels, but we'd spend one day of our vacations just sitting in the lobbies of the different fancy hotels. And in no time at all, we were, you know, renting the penthouse in that hotel for our vacation and stuff. Like that. Same with, with vehicles, you know, we'd go down to the Aston Martin dealership and, and, and just sit in an Aston Martin until we got really comfortable with it, get to know the salesman's name, find out about his background. My wife was really good at, at, at um, socializing with people. And I was just interested in, you know, playing in the car. And, uh, and, and then eventually, you know, when I was, I don't know what age it was, 35, I've got an Aston Martin. And, and, and the, that's, the, that's the magic. You don't have to work out how am I gonna get an Aston Martin? You have to get comfortable with what it feels like to have an Aston Martin. Yeah. And then from a physics standpoint, String theory tells us that for anything to exist, it has to exist in at least 10 dimensions. The physical dimension is pretty hard to build stuff in. And, and I'm not a very good builder, I'm terrible at DIY. The other dimensions, it's pretty easy to build stuff in with your imagination. And if you build it with your imagination, it has no choice but to show up because for anything to exist, it has to exist in all 10 dimensions. And you know, this is not just me saying it, this was in the biographies of hundreds of men and women that, that I've read about over the, over the years, even though in their time they called the whole thing different names they've called it visualization window shopping or just imagination but that's kind of how you do it yeah it's a lot of fun but the benefits are worth it yeah i used to go to the um in my 20s when i lived in brighton uh in the uk i used to go into the grand the grand hotel and buy a cup of tea or a drink and sit there and you know just to just go, and, and like you felt very uncomfortable at first um but, you know, one thing that struck me about those experiences, and it was a good perception shift for me, I, I don't necessarily think I assumed that people with money were happier necessarily, but what I wasn't expecting was the unhappiness. You know, I, I, I kind of, you know, I remember the first couple of times I was able to fly business class to have a bit more comfort when I was traveling for work. And that was a huge, I was like, I was like oh, great, this is wonderful. I get to experience a business lounge and I was like, wow, people are miserable. Like these people are very privileged. And, and of course I'm generalizing and you know, that, that changed over the years with different people that I might see or, but I was like, wow, there's a real unhappiness that comes with, with it too. So you have to be able to align with that stuff and be appreciative of what it is, but also kind of not care about it because it doesn't really mean anything. Um, in in that sense so it was very interesting yeah. to me i i find that in, in most aspects of life though not just you know in, in the in the more luxurious or finer aspects of life you know if i go to the grocery store i'll find you know out of the hundred people who are walking around the grocery store well in the old days when there was a hundred people in the grocery store 99 of them are miserable and so one of the one of, one of the games we play in transformation is called the grocery store challenge it's exactly what you've just explained but in the grocery store instead of in a, a lounge and, and the, the idea is you go in and you don't, you don't go in for any purpose whatsoever. You're not going to buy something, but you spend a few, you spend a, an hour in there and you talk to people and you say something nice and you make them smile. So you go up to the poor woman behind the deli counter who just wants to shoot herself at this point because of the miserable people who are, you know, impatient and all this. And you say, you know, you get a name and say, that's a beautiful name. What does that mean? Where are you from? And they lift up and their energy is but it has an effect on everybody else too. So everyone else who's there who's been miserable suddenly realizes, oh, I've been miserable. And they get involved. Yeah. And you can, in, in, a, in a half hour to an hour, go to a grocery store. Um, 
I, I got people to do this. I, I did a seven day, seven day mentality challenge, the mentality control challenge. This, this was exercise one. So I, I had emails of hundreds of people all over the world who said, you never guess what happened. And they go into this grocery store. And of course, they, you know, they, they, they pick the person who looks the most miserable and turns out to be, you know, that person has, has a disability, has a mental challenge and no one ever talks to them. And the whole world lights up for everybody, including the person that does the, the exercise. I used to do that in the first class lounge because I realized that the people who are serving these miserable people are miserable because they're miserable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so and you can have an impact wherever you go. Yeah, and it's very meaningful because I remember that too, that, you know, you're, I'm always... I'm happy when someone who might be serving me something seems shocked or lights up because I'm talking to them and I'm also kind of sad. I'm like, God, you know, we, we need to tackle this as a world, but it starts with one person. And like you said, you can, if some, if one person starts to feel seen, that mask, that societal mask that kind of gets held in place starts to drop in the room and, that, and that's the way we do it. No, that's beautiful. Um, what is your wife? Uh, think about the journey that you guys have been on together because you know you've been together for 35 years did you say well yeah so so you, i'm gonna shock you here but but I, there's going to be an interesting conversation as i said at the beginning it's wonderful how these conversations go and go in a different way so we were together 40 years uh she was my mother's chemotherapy nurse and that's how we how we met uh, and i was being a miserable bleeder that day too because i did i there was a football game on tv a soccer game on tv and i i didn't want to take my mom for chemotherapy and i was in a miserable mood so funny how things happen so anyway my so my wife comes out of a, a chemotherapy nurse comes out of the the chemotherapy um unit into the main corridor sees my mother and they both hug each other and i realized i didn't know each other really well mm -hmm. and my mother introduced me with a kind of smile she knew straight away and uh, and so that's that's how we met so we had 40 fantastic years just of absolute joy and laughter but my wife has been ill her whole life. She was born with an illness and, and went all the way through it. And so I'm going to say the word unfortunately, but, but I want to qualify again in a minute. So unfortunately, she passed away in December, December the 2nd, after a, a long bout of a very difficult illness. But one of, the, one of the great benefits of understanding energy is that although you have to go through the grieving process, and I have like everybody else, I've discovered that like a lot of people have a really annoying laugh. I have the most annoying cry you could possibly imagine. It's terrible. And even I, even I put my fingers in my ears when I hear it, you know, my dogs go running out of the room and everything like that. But once, once you get, you have to get that grief out. Once you get it out, you do have the tools and techniques because string theory says that in, in order for anything to exist, it has to exist in 10 dimensions. When we lose this physical body, this is just fermions and bosons congregated. It feels solid. Uh, but, but nothing actually touches when you get down to a hundred millionth of a centimeter you all you're feeling is electron repulsion from the from the electrons going around the atoms you don't actually touch ever touch anything mm. um but that's what we experience so once that goes away nothing changes except that i'm stuck in the physical world which is really slow and low vibration and lynn there's, there's no other side but lynn's right here but in her now version of of the the, the ten dimensions and and so having the tools and techniques to be able to build what I call a psychic bridge hmm. and to be able to have that connection is, is and, and I'm, I'm charting this journey through the psychic bridge with my guild, with the podcast and, and some of, some of the blogs. Um, it, it's a, even though of course I, I miss terribly every second of the physical connection. I, I don't feel left alone. I don't feel on another side. Hmm. I feel very much this, this very strong here right now. So I feel this very strong connection. And part of that benefit is to answer your question about, you know, how was Lynn with that? She never needed any of the tools and techniques. 
she never needed any of the training that I've had to put myself through in order to learn how to get from point A to point B because she was an, a natural empath, clairvoyant and clairaudient. And so, so she, she never interfered with my, my particular experiences and journey, but whenever I got to a certain point and would say, hey, guess what? She would just smile at me because she knew it anyway, you know, like she knows it now. So, so I'm, I'm now on another experience and another journey to try and get to the level that she's already at. Mm. And uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm at at this point in time. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And I always, you know, I know that when a loved one is no longer here in the physical, there is an acceleration process for those of us who remain in the physical to, I won't say absorb them, but to, um, to become the aspects of them that they perhaps played in our lives in a deeper or bigger way. That's certainly been my experience. It's what I've witnessed. And, you know, as a, as a channeler for 22 years now, that that's what my guides talk about, you know, the, that's the how transmutation of the energy into us. So but that's so much how it, how it feels. And, and, you know, Lynn was there. My wife, Lynn, was way ahead of me. She knew she was transitioning. She knew when it was going to happen. Um, you know, she, it would, she, Christmas was her favorite time. And so she, she made me have an early Christmas. She was in intensive care for five and a half weeks, but then came home on the Monday and we had a Christmas Eve Monday night. And she kept saying to me, we need to do this now. Mm. The, the little traditions that we created over 40 years, we need to do this now. And I thought, oh, hang on a sec. Is this all I'm getting? Or this one night and so and you know and then i, I lay on the bed and we'd lay there uh, i lay there till eight o'clock in the morning and then when she transitioned so i was holding the hand which is how she would have chosen i think but also my dogs were licking her face that's exactly what she would have chosen i think more dogs and less me but she would that's exactly the process that she would have chosen to go through so there was there was as tough as it was it was a very beautiful beautiful thing too you know and, and you know so so there's the body but i i felt right in, in that very moment that the only thing that's changed here is I can't physically hold a hand anymore. Yeah. Did you, did you know it was coming? Both of you yes. or you? Yeah. So you, we, we, we talked about it for a long time. Yeah. 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 Well, her experience of your changed life, I'm curious because, you know, it, it sounds like with the, if you like outer success that you were able to create in the world, although of course it's inner, um, you know, I, I love hearing some of the things that you did. So getting to create the animal sanctuary that was a dream and also having the ability to perhaps do different things to when you two first met. I'm curious what her experience of that journey was like. How did she enjoy or respond to that? Well, it was always me responding to, to, to Lynn, really, not the other way around, because nothing, you know, everybody has a source of motivation. And for, for a lot of people, it could be you know, it's sometimes in my life has been to prove somebody wrong who doubted me or, or, or dismissed me or something. That's quite a strong motivation source for me. Um, and it, the, the majority of, of, uh, of motivation for me was always to see Lynn smile because when she smiled, I knew she was pleased with me and I felt good, you know, I thought I did all right there, you know? And so, and so, so I've kind of built, a, you know, the, I can live anywhere, do anything. I'm not materialistic. I, I, I love driving an Aston Martin, but I also love just walking in the woods. Uh, Lynn was always the same way, but she always wanted to live and work in America. She never actually worked in America, but she, she trained to work, but then didn't, she was a nurse, so she didn't actually do any work. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't say that. She obviously was, was doing the work of keeping a house and keeping me yeah. alive, yeah. Um, but she didn't go out to work anymore because she didn't have to, and that was an mm. important thing. So we kind of had more of an adventure. It, it felt like a really long, so we moved to America in 1994 because she wanted to. So because of her illness, she couldn't have children. And we were around people who use that to be as miserable as they could and to, to take it out of one another. So all the couples split up. 
and uh, and so we decided, you know, we have a choice. You know, we can be miserable like that, or we can be totally irresponsible for the rest of our lives because we don't have the responsibility of children. So we decided that. So I so said, what you would do? Lynn says, I would love to go live in America. So we made that happen, and uh, it took a while, but we managed to get to America. And and then, you know, once we're in America, she wanted to live in California. Then she went to live in Florida, and uh, that's kind of what we did. And and then when our heart was became particularly problematic, the best heart surgeon in the world was in Seattle, and that's why I'm in Seattle right now. So we moved to Seattle so she could get the proper care way back in 2001 or whenever it was. So I've always kind of, I always followed Lynn's sort of um, spirit. And somebody said to me the other day, because I, you know, my mother was ill when I was a little kid and was ill my whole life until she died when I was 21. So, so, someone said to me, you know, you've been a caregiver your whole life. And I hadn't thought of it that way. It was a bit of a shock actually. And then, and then she said, so what are you going to do for fun now? Mm. And I couldn't answer the question. I really couldn't answer the question. And, and then, so I, I, you know, went for a walk, thought about it, and I came up, you know what, I'd really like to do that. So for the first time in my life, I'm going to do something that is just Trevor Blake directed. And, and are we allowed to know what that is? Or I'm, I'm making you... a movie. Yeah, I'm making a movie. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, uh, but I, you know, so I'm going to, but I, I, I want to be the executive, but I've written the movie, so I'm the, I'm, I'm the writer of it, and, uh, and everyone who's read it likes it, uh, or says they do. And, uh, but, but I want to... <laughs> I want to be the executive producer of it because I want it. I don't, I'm not doing it for the money, but I want it to be, it's the story of my mother's life. And so I want this story. I want, and it's the first chapter of three simple steps, but now the whole movie made of the first chapter of three simple steps, because it's a terrific story. And I think we need some inspiration these days. We need, we do some feel good movies, don't we? And then yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. there's not enough feel good movies out there. For sure. And feeling is the word. I mean, so many movies now are mechanically made or they rely heavily on AI. And uh, we really need to keep the feeling alive in, in all of our programming. I think it's crucial. And I think it will happen. Like, I, 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 you know, in this next decade, what we're going into, that, that's going to have to burst forth. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. People want it. And, and, you know, I think it'd be great fun too. Yeah. So three simple steps. Now, what can you tell us about that book? Because I, I know that when... Um, when your publisher for your new book reached out to us about about doing this interview and, and you know we had a look the three simple steps was a new york times bestseller in was it 2012 yeah actually it's been three times so yeah 2012 uh -huh. 2013 and then again i think in 2016 or something uh, around christmas time it, it you know i always think books find the reader not the other way around so when you know books have their own and you put energy into a book the book goes off and does its own thing and three simple steps definitely did that i i wrote it and then and then you know, didn't do any, didn't, I did some radio shows, a little bit of TV, but other than that, uh, and then it went off on its own journey. It's translated into six languages now, uh, including Chinese. That's so, great. And, um, and so, so, it, but, it, but it, it's impactful. I, I get emails from all over the world and I love them. They're, they're just fantastic stories because so many people feel stuck in their version of quicksand and you do need a helping hand. You know, you, it's hard to get, the harder you, when you're in quicksand, the harder you struggle to get out, the deeper you sink. So you do need some tools and techniques to help you get out of that situation. After that, it's up to you. So Three Simple Steps is about, okay, what are these things that I can do that will put me on my path and I can reinvent myself? And, and you know, I didn't come up with any of them. I found the patterns in all of the biographies. So I found these three key, I mean, there were probably more, but I focused on these three key things that everyone who'd been successful in any venture of life had, had, had just naturally done in their lives. And I thought, as a, as a kid, I thought, you know, if, if it worked for them, it, surely it will work for me. And it did. And, and it worked straight away. And so I just carried on through my life. And, um, you know, the first is mentality control. So step one is about how we can claim back the individual we were born to be. 
I mean, we were not, you know, we, we had, everyone had the same potential the day they arrive on earth. And then for different circumstances, it can get suppressed over time. It can get beaten out of you. It can get, you know, just, just crushed with, with things that people say and the media and all the rest of it. So, so it's about stopping all that, about being very careful what, what senses you allow into your perception and then taking control of your mentality. And that raises confidence tremendously. And then the second thing is, okay, now with my newfound neurons, what, where do I plug them in? And so the second part is about meditation and, and getting into nature and plugging into what in 2012 was confirmed as the Higgs field, that that's sort of cosmic glue that links everything together. So getting into the glue and playing with that energy and having some amazing, what people first of all think are miraculous experiences, but then after a year, it's an everyday occurrence. Mm. We don't need to talk about it anymore. And, uh, and then the third thing is about taking all of that newfound energy and power and directing it to something you want for yourself that you've always dreamt of. Remember when you were six and you wanted to be an actress? Remember when you wanted to be an astronaut? Remember all those things? You know, the world was limitless. And, and so it's getting back to that mentality and then saying, okay, what I'd like to do is X. And then there's a, there's a tool and technique around building that X and, and then, okay, um, how, to, how, to put, how to create a laser-like focus on that, no matter what happens in your life. And, and that's kind of what the three simple steps is about. And then pe people just take it to heart and they do the tools and techniques and they, they show a little discipline with it. And then the emails I get from all over the world, just, uh, you know, they can make you cry. They're so amazing. Beautiful. No, that's fantastic. Um, and I'm curious with your next book, which I love the title, Secrets to a Successful Startup, a recession-proof guide to starting, surviving, and thriving in your own venture. I almost want to call it a COVID proof guide because, you know, for the last year that has been the energetic recession that many people have experienced. Although I know there have been a lot of gifts through it for many too. So I, I don't want to paint it just that way, but I think what made you write this book and what is it that you're hoping to give people through it? I wrote it mainly by request because people kept saying, you know, can you help me with in the business world? You know, cause I'm an entrepreneur. They see me as an entrepreneur because you know, that's, kind of some of the things I do are entrepreneurial. Mm. And, um, and so, so for that reason, but also I could see a recession coming and it hasn't come yet, by the way. Uh, so, so we're in it, but it's, it's, it will be deep because we're in this, this energy transformation, this great energy transformation and rebalance. So, so that's going to affect everything in our lives, the way we live, the way we transact, the way we take leisure, the way we work. And we can see it already with this tsunami of people moving you know, to working from home and stuff like that. It's all part of the change process. But, you know, you have two choices. One is you can curl into a fetal position and hide behind the couch. And the other is, well, you can be there eyes wide open because with that comes huge opportunity, yeah. particularly to reinvent yourself and start your own ventures. So Seekers to a Successful Startup doesn't just mean a commercial venture. It could be in music or art or anything. It's the same principles that apply. But the key thing is I wrote it in, in 2018, 2019, when everything looked rosy because you could see the recession coming. And the reason I wanted to put it out there is because statistically, if you go back 150 years through the last 48 recessions and depressions, more people start companies during recession than any other time. And for all kinds of reasons. One is they're motivated never to get fired again and never to feel like that again. Two is there's a lot of people available to work for, very, for less than they would have been able to work for before. And I found the same thing. So, so of my six companies, four have started in some kind of recession, like a credit crunch or a banking crisis. And I, I find, you know, when I, when I have a great idea and it's, things are going really well, I, I, I sort of metaphorically knock on someone's door and say, I'd like to share this business idea with you. They don't have time for me. The door gets slammed in my face. 
And then a recession comes along and the same person opens the door and says, oh, well, sorry, we were so rude to you back then. <laughs> you know, how can we help you? You know, we'd love to have your business. Completely yes. different attitude to the startup. And so you can build really fast because there's already supply is available in, a, in a, manufacturers will bend over backwards just to get your little volume of business. Whereas before they said, oh, it's not, it's not important to us. It's not enough volume. If, so the whole, the whole mentality of the business world changes and you can take advantage of it. So if you start in recession, you can get big very fast. That's one of the, one of the key things. And the other thing is this, this change. Most people I meet have been in the corporate world and then they start their own business and they repeat exactly what they learned in the corporate world. So they start hiring people straight away. I, 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 the, another, the sort of analogy I use is akin to if you buy a new house, you wouldn't hire a full-time handyman just in case something goes wrong. But that's what people do in a business. And then, you know, they hire these people and then after two weeks, the people are sat around on the internet, you know, looking for another job or twiddling their thumbs and you're going to have to pay for those people. You pay for their salaries, the workers' compensation, all of the things that go around that, the human resources and everything. And for most companies, starting out that way is a recipe for disaster. It's very hard to get the delta between what's coming in and what's going out correct. So if you start in a different way, so Seekers to a Successful Startup explains my business model which is the hub model, the model of alliances. If you start that way, you basically buy things as you need them. So when you have the money, you can buy a little bit extra. When you have more money, a little bit extra. And so you, you, you grow organically and your chances of survival are astronomically greater than if you don't do it that way. Um, as proven not just by my businesses, but other people who followed that. But what's interesting about it, I've, so I've, I've found that I, I thought, so there's a lot of homemakers who now, they were empty nesters who want to start something, but when they gave up their dreams 20 years ago for the sake of the, you know, to, to uh, help a family grow and survive and grow, you know, technology over 20 years has changed so dramatically that it's a bit scary. So I wanted a book for, for the homemaker. So you, so you know, follow these steps and you can't go wrong. I also wanted the book for the startup person, follow these steps so you can't go wrong. But what I found is that a lot of people who are in established businesses are saying, how can I get my established business, which is now draining money like a, an incredible rate, how can I turn it from what from the traditional hierarchy into a quasi-virtual uh, business model? So, so it's, I, I'm, I'm pleased that it's, it's not just the people who are starting up, that it's helping people who are already in business to get more profitable and also have better chances of surviving. But I say to everybody, there's never a better time to start a company than in a recession. Hmm. Well, and what you just outlined, you know, that the, the kind of uh, the, the layout of this company is, is so much more new energy than the old world that we're kind of coming out of. So in that way, to me, it's so much more weatherproof. But you also said about, you know, there are a couple of ways we can experience a time like this. You can cower behind the sofa in dread and fear and loss, or you can open your eyes and see the new opportunity. And as we know, what's often the case is you might need a month or two behind the sofa before you get to that point, yeah. you know, because you're, Nothing wrong with that. you're, you're Nothing shedding, wrong. shedding the stuff. But I'm curious, what do you notice when you work with people or when they come through your courses? I also know you have your coaching guild. Are there, is there a or a few, what are the most common objections that you notice people having to growing, moving into a more successful life, giving themselves more abundance? Are there, are there some key patterns that you've observed? Always. I, I, I wouldn't call them objections to it or resistance to it. Uh, the, the, there's two things I, I'd say most people don't have a lot of self-confidence for one, whatever reason. And most people don't think themselves worthy of success mm. or worthy of adventure so or true. worthy at all. 
and and it, and it's because of let all this stuff come into their heads over the years. You know, I mean, I, I don't watch the news. I don't I don't get a newspaper. I, I'm very careful, control my mentality, and I don't seem to be missing anything. You know, so so I, I so that's some of the things I teach is like you've got to switch that stuff off, and you've got to you know get your individuality back. But um, all the all the scientific studies that have been done that have any merit, as far as quality is concerned, and when they're looking at what makes the difference between six, those who are you know quote unquote successful and those who miss out on that experience it always comes down to two things it always comes down to self-confidence and an innate desire to set targets and so the 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 biggest study that was done on that was the the Stanford uh, IQ uh, test and it was looking at geniuses how come this genius made it and this genius didn't these were genius IQ people and it went on for decades and that was what that was what the conclusion was everyone was expecting some you know technical solution or some technical or or, or, you know neurological data or something and it came down to no, it's self-confidence and self-confidence isn't natural. You know, I'm, I'm a very shy, very introverted person that you, you get self-confidence by, by learning tools and techniques, practicing them and learning from them. And then you think, okay, I can do that. I get that. And now I understand. And maybe my scientific mind is more that way. I think that, you know, I want to, I want to know how my things work. And so in the courses and, and um, you know, they're very carefully constructed so that you go, you're not put in an, in an awkward position or a difficult position. You put in a position to have fun. And you experiment with playing with energy and the results give you the confidence. You don't need to do anything. You just need to have a bit of fun with this technique and you'll see what happens in your life. And, it, and then, you, you know, you suddenly realize, oh, you know, I could do this. And then when it comes down to it, you know, when people always say to me, okay, so, you know, you know, what makes you a successful entrepreneur or whatever? I find it's the same thing that made me a successful salesman and a successful marketing manager and a successful business development manager. The ability to manage a handful of people in an appropriate way is all it takes. Mm. You know, I, I, when I was a sales, sales manager, I had seven sales reps. Then when I was a national sales manager, I had seven regional sales managers. And then when I was a VP, I had seven directors. And, you know, it's always, it's like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You know, it's always, it's always, always seven. And, and I didn't do anything different. I, I, I didn't interact with any of them in any different way. And, and, it, and it was successful. So when I started my own company, I realized that if I build a hub model with, you know, five, six, seven vendors and contractors, if I can manage that, if I can give good direction and lots of enthusiasm and inspiration, it'll be a success naturally. I don't, I don't have to do anything else. And so it's remarkably simple, but you need to build the level of self-confidence where you suddenly realize that's all it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And building self-confidence is a really important concept because I had many people, you know, I've been doing my job now for 16 years and I'm deeply grateful for kind of the the transformation journey I've got to go through and where I am today and the people I get to work with and serve and all of that stuff but people will often say to me oh well, you're so confident and I'm like oh my god I could I could list for you myself all the self-judgment all the self-doubt all the stuff I had with me at the very beginning and I was able to just push past it enough and be willing to be uncomfortable enough and kind of like you said there was a, there was a target or there was a goal um, but also I, I had the support of the people who were affirming me through the things I was doing for them that was working. So I, I I'm, you know, I love that build. So we build self-confidence. It's not a problem if you don't feel confident. It's a problem if you don't feel confident and you just want to stay at home and think you're not confident for the rest of your life. You know, yeah. for all of us, it's a training and it's a, it's an over and over again, learned behaviors and new behaviors that build that. But I think you also, you know, I, I don't get to a point in life where I say I'll never lack confidence ever again as long as I live. Mm -hmm. I, I, I suffer from all the same hangups 
and all the same frailties and all the same dumb thoughts as everybody else that I've ever met in my life. It's having the tools and techniques to, to realize it, to be aware of that, and then to say, hang on a sec, that thought doesn't help me. What am I going to do? How do I react to the negative thought I just had? And then changing what exactly. previously I didn't have a reaction. I learned to have a reaction. And this, so I'll react this way. This is going to help. That's what builds the self-confidence. But then, you know, then I'll hit another problem in business or something. And I'll think, I don't know, I'm out of my depth. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't even know where to go or who to call. That's thought, those thoughts are not going to help me. So then I'll react to it in a different way. I'll go for a walk and I'll say, can you help me? <laughs> At yeah. least he's an help right now. And then I'll come back and the phone will go and it will be the perfect person. And then my self-confidence is back up again. It's so, yeah. you know, it's not a permanent thing. It's, it's something that you need tools and techniques to work on. And, and No, and I think a little discomfort as a creator is a great sign. Like as a creator, a business owner, whatever, you know, if you've got a little bit of discomfort, that's a good sign that you're, you're alive. You're not, you're not on autopilot. You're not doing something that's just repetition. You're growing. And, you know, I was a big personal development um, junkie kind of for want of a better term in my late teens and right through my you know to about my mid mid 20s to late 20s and then I ended up starting to as work in this field which I didn't anticipate but you know the one thing that it took me a long time to figure out was the kind of horrors and growth that I went through as my own business grew because I was completely unqualified to, to know what you know how to do this I hadn't trained to kind of you know grow with this thing um, one of the things that I got one day was I was like, oh, this is just the new personal development, like being a business owner, if you really embrace it, um, it's actually a great chance to grow and learn. And it's the same thing I used to go to all those books and workshops for. So it's one of the things I often say to the, the healers uh, or the creatives that, that come onto my um, more entrepreneurial courses. It's, it's the same thing. You just transpose it to creating this world and it's fun. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm uniquely unqualified for every business I've ever built. That's brilliant. I hope, I hope anybody watching and listening really takes that in because I think that's the biggest myth. Like one of my favorite things is hearing people's struggles, difficulties, journeys, because it reminds us all that any of us can do that and that that is often what people are in relationship with when they're doing these supposed outer success things that we're, you know, I think back when I was a kid, we were, it was very whitewashed, the kind of journeys that people went through. We were just, we were just told to look at that very one-dimensional outer picture. Yeah, you just have to start and figure it out from there because, I mean, Jeff Bezos started out, you know, just trying to get in on the internet business and selling books as, you know, on, online from, his, life, from his, his garage. He never envisaged Amazon. You know, I started out with my, with my big company right now, company number four. I, I started out with, with a, uh, um, an oncologist who had an idea of creating a chemotherapy type drug that didn't have the toxicity. And, and impossible, how can you possibly do it? I have zero qualifications to get involved in something like that. And yet here I am owning and running the company. Mm. You know? One thing I would love to ask you before we wrap up our conversation, tell us a little about the animal sanctuary. It's just uh, animals have always been a huge part of my life. I've never, first, you know, I, we always had dogs when I was growing up, even, even in the difficult circumstances, we always had the dog running around. So, so I have a great affinity with animals. And then of course, moving out to the country at a young age, I just had, I had some experiences as a young kid that, you know, they're gonna, this is going to sound weird. Okay. But, 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 you know, of animals talking to me and. It won't and, sound weird to our listeners. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> Not at all. And, it was, and, and of course, they talk in a, a completely unique way. I mean, they, 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 they like download on you. Like a, it's almost like they've, almost like they've 
they've spat at you in some way because you get everything all in one go. And as a kid, I didn't understand it, I, 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 but I loved it. And, and I also made the mistake of telling my parents and the brothers and sisters what happened and they think you're nuts. So I never told them again. So, so I always had this great affinity with animals and I've found over, you know, and then I worked on a farm for a long period of time in all my spare time, weekends and nights after school when I should have been studying, I spent on a farm and I thought it was, it was the most rewarding and for me, probably the happiest time in my whole life. And um, uh, I could see myself going back to doing that in some way in the, in the future. Um, I find with most, you know, so I find with animal cruelty that it's, it's oftentimes it's not a bad human being. There's no such thing as a really bad human being. Just people get confused and get out, get, get out of their depth. And so, so situations happen that some, that it's just a horrible situation. So if you can get in there, help the human being, get them out of the way. So they don't have to worry about this anymore. And you take the animal back and you can give the animal a better experience of a human then the rewards are immense. And so I've always been involved in that, but I never was able to do it sort of as a, as a business. So then after I uh, sold my third company, I thought this, I'm going to do this. So um, as soon as I said, I'm going to do this, of course, the very next day I met somebody who just rescued two horses and had no idea what to do with them. So, and she just got divorced and uh, was in a terrible situation. So I bought her farm. And so she didn't have to worry about the mortgage. And, she, and the agreement was I buy the farm and she runs the sanctuary. And that's how we started. And everybody won, and uh, and so then we you know we've got all kinds of wonderful characters. So the idea is that we rescue an animal, and then we find the perfect home for it because we, you you want you want that connection between animal and human to be a perfect experience. But sometimes we're not able to do that because the animals have certain issues. Uh, I use animal communicators to help me with, with those situations, and sometimes I, I just fall in love and I can't like I just I, the animal comes here to my place here, and uh, and so that, those things happen. So we have we have a sanctuary where we have some permanent residents just because they, they are happier there than they would be anywhere else. But other than that, we try to rehome or rehouse um, in very strict conditions. I'm, I'm like a Gestapo in, in, interrogator when I find somebody who says, oh, I'll take that. You know, so that's just, it's just something that I always wanted to do. It's, it's, it's completely rewarding. And I get so much more out of it than I, than I put into it because the animals, they astound me. Because if ever they, if these animals have had such a difficult experience, they have every reason to hate a human being. And yet I find they give nothing but unconditional love. Mm -hmm. Everyone, whether it's a goat or a, a cat or a dog or a, or a horse, it doesn't matter. They give unconditional love back as if it never happened. And I, I find that very inspiring. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, thank you. And thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for, for being here with us. It has been just lovely to meet you, to learn more about what you do. And it's funny, you know, the show is called Impact the World. And, uh, it, it's really beautiful to witness the impact on the world that you are making, but more importantly, the complete synthesis of how your world is impacted by what you're doing and your inner life. It's, it's lovely. So thank you so much, Trevor. You're welcome, Lee. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate and it. And for, for anyone who has been watching or listening and would like to go deeper with Trevor and Trevor's work, if you go to his website, trevorgblake.com, and we'll put all these links in the show notes as usual, you'll be able to access the free PDF, learn more about his books, and he's got some fantastic courses and a regular monthly coaching group. And I have to share, you call that the Guild of Wizards? I call it the Guild because that's the group noun for a group of wizards. And, and the, you know, uh, so they, and they are, and they're all achieving amazing yeah. things in their lives. So. I love it. I love the wizard and I, yeah, so much affinity with the wizard term. The magic's brilliant. So thanks so much, Trevor. And we're going to look out for the movie. So good luck with, uh, <laughs> with the making of that. And thanks for being here today.
You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Impact the World. And if you want to go deeper and more in depth with my work, you should check out my members group, The Portal. You can find it at my website, leeharrisenergy.com or visit theportal.world.